I learned so much about the journey for women from first level through the boardroom. I interviewed women and men all over the world. It changed my business completely because what I learned, you know, my company is called Why Millennials Mattered, is that everything millennials in my research globally were saying that they wanted. They wanted meaning and purpose and flexibility and strong relationships with mentors and sponsors. They wanted to have a broader impact, sustainability. Guess what? That's what women wanted all along and never had access to. Welcome to season three of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we're going to talk with some fierce, unapologetically ambitious women about what it means to be an inclusive leader. Are you ready? Episode four, Joan Cool on Digging Your Heels In. Welcome, welcome everyone. I hope you're ready for a compelling conversation on the Confident Podcast today. But first, Liv, I just have to talk about the Summer Olympics. I love the Olympics as a family, the West family. We've been to two, one in Vancouver, one in Salt Lake. And I love watching them every time. But especially this summer, there's so many fierce female athletes. I know. I mean, I'm so excited. Simone Biles, of course, is the goat. goat. (laughs) And I can't wait to watch 13-year-old skateboarder Sky Brown. I mean, could you imagine competing at the Olympics at that age? I'm so glad that none of my children (laughs) do what she's doing. (laughs) And I also am looking forward to the face-off between track and field stars Delilah Muhammad and Sydney Murlachlan. These athletes show us what's possible. But And I also love what Allison Felix is doing, both on and off the track. Off the track, of course, she is partnering with the Women's Sports Foundation to help cover the childcare costs for mom athletes in Tokyo this month. She's such a powerful example of how when women support women, we're truly unstoppable. Absolutely. And speaking of another phenomenal mom, let's introduce this week's guest. Joan Cool is an author, speaker, and unabashed champion of girls' leadership and advancing women in the workplace. She speaks internationally and consults with Fortune 100 companies and top 20 business schools, as well as serves as a board member for the Francis Hesselbein Leadership Institute and Girls Inc. Her expertise has been featured in the New York Times, Harvard Business Review, CNBC Success Magazine, and she's a regular contributor to Forbes Woman. Joan is the author of three books, including Dig Your Heels In, Navigate Corporate BS, and Build the Company You Deserve. She earned her MBA from Rutgers University, where she studied global business strategies in China, and she's the mother of two daughters. Welcome to Confident, Joan. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry and Olivia. We're so thrilled, and and like we were saying, actually before the podcast rolled, um, it was such a thrill to meet you and your two fabulous daughters at our She Is Rising art exhibit. Yes. What a cool event. And, you know, we haven't had the chance to get out much. We moved through the pandemic out of New York City to Darien and to come and see art by local female artists all about empowering girls to meet the two of you. It was just a night to remember. Remember, it was stormy and rainy (laughs) and it couldn't have been. It was just it was a perfect night and a night that my daughter and I really needed. So thank you. No, it's awesome to connect. So just to get started, tell us something that Google doesn't know about you. Because Google knows a lot. It's a very long bio. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I'm so terrified. You're going to have to teach me everything, Sherry, about raising kids. Um, you know, the one thing I, I, I don't think it really is clear on Google is I do have my pilot's license. 
And that was inspired by my mom. So I earned my pilot's license when I was 18 years old. I don't still fly, but I will one day again. Um, and I earned it because I admired my mom who had gotten her pilot's license um, earlier in her life. And then my younger sister went on to get hers too. Okay. Like awesome. you had me at the cool fun fact that you had your pilot's license, but then when you said inspired, inspired by, by your mom. mother, like yeah. that's incredible. And uh, wow, that's, that's, that's a really neat thing to know about you. Um, and we like to kind of, we like to get into like how it all started. So can you tell us about your, your very first job and what you learned from it? If we have time, I'll tell you about two. But the most important one I'll tell you is at 14 years old, I worked at McDonald's. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Hey, me too. <laughs> do you know what? There, I think we should do a study. I, I think that there is a crazy stat about um, the type of individuals that started at McDonald's and where they landed in their values today. But anyway. Um, I went there at 14 because I wanted to start earning an income and you couldn't be, you couldn't work at the mall until you're 16. And at 14, I couldn't, you know, use the, the heavy, I couldn't use the gas grill or anything, but I could work the register. And so the two things that it taught me, you know, first I was so proud to have that job. There was no way that anybody could tell me anything otherwise. Um, and now I think of the burden it put on my parents to have to drive me, you know, back and forth to this McDonald's, um, you know, after school and on weekends. But um, it, it taught me a that treating everybody with dignity and respect is a core value. You know, thinking about the different types of individuals I worked with who this was their main source of income. You know, I was just trying to prove that I was, I was a professional. I had a job at 14 and I was saving for college and I knew I would go to college and there's others my age there that weren't, and this was going to be their career. So that was really profound. The other is, <laughs> which I love to this day is learning to treat customers, delight customers. So I'm a, I'm a cashier, right? I'm taking your order. And where my McDonald's was located was on a highway close to a long-term care center and a hospital. So we had a lot of older uh, customers that were regulars that would come in and get, you know, the specific coffee and the, the Danish, remember the apple Danishes, I have a scar on my arm mm -hmm. to prove that mm -hmm. I made apple Danishes. Um, and uh, I'd memorize their orders. I'd, I'd ask for their names. I'd say their names. And the one customer actually started a tip jar, which you're not allowed to do. You know, you can get tips at McDonald's. <laughs> but it was just, you know, it was a really special thing. And my parents were really proud when I came home and told them that that was something. And, and my manager at the time used that as the reason to promote me to the drive through window. And like that day was big to go from, you know, being at the register to then wearing the headset um, and answering the calls there. So that's my first job and what it taught me. What, that's a great story. And like I said, that was McDonald's was one of my first jobs as well. And so I can definitely relate that the promotion to drive through window is a big deal. And actually that's what McDonald's taught me is just like how you know, how you have to work hard and navigate a, a hierarchy because you start with the, you know, the, the least coveted job, which is cleaning up the lobby. And yes. then you get promoted to, you know, back making salads to the fryer to cashier was a really good job. But then the dream job is that drive through window. So I can, definitely, <laughs> yes. I can definitely uh, relate to that story. 
And so fast forward, after spending 14 years in the pharma industry, you transitioned to mentoring and coaching and launched, launched uh, Why Millennials Matter. Can you talk to us about that journey? Yes, it's pretty funny. And I'm going to, um, I'll start with just the connect the dots to why I felt such a calling to start something. Um, so for me, uh, growing up, it's important for me to share that for the first decade of my life, it was just my mom and I. And I mentioned how she inspired me to get my pilot's license. She was my hero when it came to taking risks for her career. She was an inner city school teacher in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And then she took two administrative assistant jobs on one at Temple University and one at a law firm so that she could advance her degree. And she at the time really wanted to go into business. But then she always had this love for this local airport and she, she started clocking miles in the sky to earn her pilot's license with me at two years old, stacked up on telephone books next to her, calling the shots probably was not you know appropriate, but I did it. Um, and so she earns her pilot's license. And what that ended up doing at the time was it opened up the door for her to become an air traffic controller. And this is you know a male dominated traditional right. government job, but one that increased our income so much that we moved out of my grandparents' home and we got our own apartment and it really started a new chapter in our, in our lives. Now I saw my mom as this confident woman and so brave and taking risks. You know, I had no idea the inequities she was facing in pay day to day. You know, when she went to get the mortgage to buy that apartment, they added an extra, I believe it was two and three quarter percent interest rate because she was high risk citing specifically because she was a single mother. Wow. How ridiculous is that? You know, right. and you know that that stuff still goes on today, you know, 40 years later. So, um, so back to, you know, m- launching my company here, I am, I was a confident kid. I was a happy kid. Um, I, I was surrounded by family all the time. I didn't know anything could be any different. And I had these big dreams of working in New York City and I wanted to wear a business suit. Remember all those 80s movies with Kelly Lynch and like, I don't know who else, but <laughs> Laura Dern. I was like, that's what I want to do. No more specific. So my mom made this key decision. Instead of, you know, having my grandparents pick me up after school every day, she enrolled me in after school leadership programs, probably like Live Girl and what you do. I was in the Girl Scouts. That was the very first one that I got involved in. And in those organizations, I got exposed to mentors like someone like you, Sherry, that, you know, maybe they did work in New York City or a city at some point. They did take a traditional route to college. They could help me chart my dreams. So the fast forward there is that for the rest of, you know, my early years, I was always in youth leadership programs. And then once I had a chance to give back in college, I've always served as a volunteer and a board member in organizations that promote youth leadership and specifically for girls, you know, for, for, you know, the attachment to my story. And so when I launched my career in corporate, I was so excited and I, I was promoted every two years and I, you know, I loved my job. I loved my teammates. I loved my company. I worked for two global pharmaceutical companies. Um, and, but the dream to get to New York city, the second one, the only reason I left the first company and I'll come back to it later was because the second one was headquartered in New York. And, and you know how hard it is to get corporations to understand that flexibility and remote work is doable, especially back then. So 
uh, the entire time I'm in this corporate career, 14 years, I'm watching all this friction between younger generations and those that were tenured, the leaders, and a lot of negative stereotypes about millennials and anybody that was younger. And that couldn't have been farther from what I believed and what I saw in the programs I was involved in. And so I literally went to the CEO of my company at the time and I said, unless I can have a job to solve this right now in this company, I'm going to launch a company called Why Millennials Matter and show the world that they're talking about this generation completely wrong and that we all need each other. And so that's what I set out to do. And really Why Millennials Matter, when I launched, um, we did research, consulting, training, writing. And of course, I started writing books from the research as well. So uh, a, a bit, it has to go back to sharing those connect the dots of the fuel and even the frustrations that, that fueled my passion and the vision for doing something about it in a bigger way that I felt I could reach more companies and more leaders and more people and build those bridges by doing it, you know, outside on my own. Joan, that is such an incredible and inspiring story. Um, I'm also reflecting on how much our stories are similar in that, you know, I was raised, um, you know, on a farm, you know, without the shackles of gender, gender stereotypes. And my mom was a teacher like your mom. Wow. And, um, you know, and then I, you know, you know, really ha- had a very passionate corporate career for 16, 17 years um, and experienced a lot of the things that hold women back in the, in corporate America. And, you know, that was really also my inspiration to pay it forward to the next generation of diverse, uh, talented young women, because, uh, you know, I, I believe every girl deserves, deserves the opportunity to lead. So, um, you're, you're doing it's your story is so inspiring and your work is incredible. And you now empower women at all points of their journey from early childhood through to college and even into the workplace. I'm just curious, so at what stage do you find that women are meeting the greatest obstacles? Where are they dropping out? And how do you help them overcome uh, these obstacles? Well, I, I can't wait to learn more about your story. So to be continued. <laughs> um, uh, well, this is the surprise uh, twist of, of my story. So I, I launched my company in 2014 and I set out being hired by Goldman Sachs and, and my first employer, uh, Eli Lilly and company, Johnson and Johnson, all these great clients, Barnes and Noble college, cosmopolitan really focused on millennials. But in that same year, the company that hired me off campus, that is really where I built my work ethic and, and experience Eli Lilly and company was embarking on a journey to, to understand why they couldn't get women to break through at the director level and above, you know, why they had less than 30% women representing those positions and director of EP and, and C-suite, yet they were over 50% of their initial recruiting class. And having worked there, it was like home to me. You know, I believed in the leaders. These were my friends, my mentors, my managers, my bosses. And so they hired me as, as the project manager, manager for this research really because of my generation's expertise, because they said, if we do not get women at the top, we're not going to attract millennials and Gen Z. If we don't look like what they look like, half of more than half now of millennials identify with a race or ethnicity that's non-white. You know, they are, there's just so many points of identity that are embraced and encouraged. And when millennials 
click that drop down menu on the about us page of a company's website and it is white man, white man, white man. They just don't believe you. You can tell me of a women's network all you want. I'm not, right. you know, I don't believe it's going to happen in my time. So that was, uh, in the exact same first year that I'm launching this whole millennial business and journey and building this team, I get this project that really was transformative for me. Um, and very personal because as I said, I grew up there. I started working there when I was 21 years old. Um, and so I learned so much about the journey for women from first level through the boardroom. I interviewed women and men all over the world. And that, you know, kind of brings me back to, it changed my business completely because what I learned you know, my company is called why millennials mattered is that everything millennials in my research globally were saying that they wanted, they wanted meaning and purpose and flexibility and strong relationships with mentors and sponsors. They wanted to have a broader impact, sustainability, all these things, flexibility, remote, guess what? That's what women wanted all along and never had access to. Right, right. So for me, it was like, oh, I can do gender and generation because they both matter together. And then I, you know, really just took that deep dive of research and transformed that into, okay, now how do I, how do I, uh, I'm really not good at just doing research. I have to do something about it. I remember, you know, reporting out the, you know, presenting the, the, the research results at Eli Lilly to their CEO and executive team. And that's when it hit me. I said, this is why I didn't go into consulting. I I can't just do the research. I have to be on the other side too. I want to take action. And so that allowed me to really launch my business and start building training programs and tools and resources. And, you know, I educate everybody from the C-suite to the intern class. I have, (laughs) I have a, and actually I'm running a a webinar this afternoon for all the interns at U.S. Soccer. Um, so this is just, you know, going back to your question, what's the stage? I think this is why you do the work that you do. I now spend 90% of my time with working women that are predominantly in their 30s and 40s. Um, and I coach women that are in their 40s and 50s at the executive and C-suite level. And what I know is that a lot of the challenges that came up in our girlhood, a lot of the fears, a lot of the issues, the stereotypes, the walls that we built because of how we were challenged and what we were told, how we should behave, how we shouldn't behave, when we should talk, how we should talk, you know, all the things, Mm -hmm. the good girl curse, um, that it's carried through to adulthood, to womanhood. And by by the way, I meant to say this earlier, I'm always on a growth journey about identity and, but I use binary terms, you know, she, he, her, his, because it is so urgent that I prove gender equality must be a priority. And the largest body of research that proves it and backs it up uses binary terms. But I always say, you know, I really want to be embracing and inclusive about identity, but this is pushing the cause to understand, you know, why we, why we aren't there yet. Um, Right. So, yeah. So back to that. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I did learn this from Simone, the founder of girls leadership a couple of years ago that, girl's confidence takes a nosedive uh, around first, second grade. I've got, a, I've got a rising third grader and a preschooler. 
Um, so it takes a nosedive from boys and then it, it kind of like goes up a little bit again, I think in sixth, seventh grade. Uh, but then, um, more so in the years of college, because remember there's a lot of boxes we can check. There's grades, there's more of a roadmap, there's more structure. And then boom, it takes another nosedive our confidence again. As soon as we hit the real world, no, no matter lean in, be bossy, band bossy, sorry, not sorry. I love you, Beyonce, but the corporate <laughs> world is not matching those mantras. Um, it takes a nosedive again. And the next time that it actually starts to climb and, and start to, I don't remember if it's separate, but at least match men's confidence is guess which decade. Do you guys know? I think never. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It does happen. It does happen. Okay. Um, in that say, decade. Let's say 51, because that's my age. And I'm feeling like so confident that I can do anything a man can do. How about that? I think that's when it goes into superpower mode. It's actually the 40s. So the 40s. So my goal, and I and I know that this is going to happen because of the work that the two of you do, is if we cannot have that roller coaster ride of our confidence, if we could make sure those nosedives don't happen at the earliest ages. So I can't pick a stage because I need the women right now that are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s to thrive, not just survive. I need them to thrive so that they can role model taking care of themselves, um, speaking up, not becoming a man, just being themselves, whether they're introverted or they're, um, you know, nice, like whatever it is that they want to describe themselves, that they can still be the leader that they want to be achieve the things that they want personally, professionally, because girls are watching and girls being very sensitive to the fact that no matter how I know you and I are talking about this stuff in front of our kids, we're taking them to these programs. They hear 5,000 media messages a day. I mean, I used to go, I'd freak out in the city, be like from the taxi cab to the thing to like, I'd start counting be like, oh my gosh, there's only so much I can do. But you know, the more programs like yours and the more collaborations that we can have for girls and boys, kids, them, all of them, you know, hearing this message that they're, they're, they're equal, their time is equal, their voices are all important. Like it, it has to happen as early as possible. Definitely. We, we couldn't agree more. Yeah. You, and you just, you just said a lot, but, yeah. but I, I, I mean, it's brilliant. Brilliant research, yeah. and I I have I believe based on our work in our community with Gen Z that all of what you said is important to the millennials is even more yeah. important to the the generation that follows Gen Z. Yes, uh, and I couldn't agree with you more on the importance of girlhood. And it kills me every time I you know think about the fact that gender stereotypes arise as early as age five or six. And yeah. then, yeah, those, com- you know, those confidence plummets that you talked about, and that is what we're trying to reverse. And, you know, a big thing that we believe is just getting girls out there, yeah. taking risks and, and having experiences, building authentic bridges to people whose lives are different than their own. Cause that's yeah. how you build self-esteem yeah. is by getting out there and, and, and doing, um, but bravo to you. I mean, it's just, inc- it's incredible your work. Oh, thank you. It's my, it's my fuel, honestly, it, it, because it has such personal 
connection back to all the sacrifices my mom made, which, you know, still needs so much progress and dedicated to my girls. Cause don't you find it ridiculous every year when McKinsey produces the report that says in 217 years, you will achieve gender equality. That's not good enough for my girls, for Olivia. It's not good enough for me and you, Sherry, or anyone in our lives. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. Well, actually, just so you know, I'm pretty convinced Olivia's on her way to becoming like, you know, the next president of the United States or something like that. So she's, she's in the fight. You too. got my vote. I believe it too. <laughs> and so you've written three books, which is incredible. Um, what has been your inspiration and can you tell us about the writing process from, you know, your ideas to actual publishing? Absolutely. Well, the, the first two, um, the Peter Drucker book and Peter Drucker for, for many don't you know, know that are in the younger generation, he's known as the father of modern management and someone I learned about through my mentor, Francis Hesselbein, who was the uh, a former CEO of the Girl Scouts. So, you know, my connection of what the Girl Scouts meant to me when I was in college, I ran for student government president. It was a big deal at the University of Pittsburgh because it actually came with a free year of tuition. So a huge deal for my family. Wow. When, yeah. When I won, uh, one of my mentors handed me and I had been reading leadership books all of my life, like the Dale Carnegie. I mean, Tony Rock, I'd read anything I could get my hands on. It was about leadership. So I was thought you have to have this title to be a leader. And then I got this book from my mentor with a woman's face on the cover of a leadership book you know, Francis Hesselbein. And this book spoke to the leader that I wanted to be and the values that I wanted to set out and have. And so that, I mean, right there, I'd always wanted to write a book. Ever since I was young, I lived, I remember the first day that Barnes Nobles, the company like launched and opened their store in Allentown. My mom and I were like, this is like Disneyland. Um, so that was, you know, my first inspiration. Here's this woman, the leader I want to be, and she can write a book about it. And it's, you know, it's something that inspires me. And ultimately, she's a big part of my life, which I can talk about later. Uh, but so with, with that, you know, I got the opportunity to become really close with Francis. And we republished a new edition of one of Peter Drucker's classics, The Five Most Important Questions. So that was really more of like a you know, re-editing process. Um, and, and my goal was to reach younger people. So I traveled to college campuses around the country, teaching them about Drucker um, because his, his, his leadership lessons are, are classic. And then the second book um, is really based on global research on millennials um, done with, done through, a, you know, a diversity talent organization. So it was like research made into a book, dig your heels in. That was my first baby book you know that was <clears throat> I'm gonna do my own thing everything that's in my head everything I'm reading I'm experiencing I want to do it and so you know you write the whole process of course you put together a book proposal you really write one of the most compelling chapters that you can you write your marketing plan you write like all these things how you think you're gonna what who you should compare it to and I remember I didn't have a title in fact, I don't even remember what the title was in the beginning. And um, excuse me, I have to cough for a second. <coughs> um, the, uh, one of the uh, editors that was reviewing my book to consider publishing it, he said to me, you know, why so fired up about women? Because when, what I'm hearing from you is 
everybody else is telling them to leave, start their own businesses, do this. And you're telling them to stay. And I said, heck yes, I am. Because you work so hard to get into these companies and you, no one knows the politics, the people, the processes, the policies better than you. You have no idea how much power you have. And you usually talk to like 20 people at another company or other companies when you're ready to leave. And you never even talk to one or two at your own company about what you deserve to have you stay. And I said, and you just need to dig your heels in stand your ground. Let's play the long game. I know it's not easy, but it's not easy at those other companies because guess what? They're my clients too. And they have the same issues. And that was uh, the moment where I said to them, that's what I want to call it. It's dig your heels in. And then of course, thinking inclusively, because I work with sports organizations, U.S. soccer, major league baseball, you know, uh, I work with construction and asphalt companies. I was like, I don't care if it's heels or flip-flops or construction boots or cleats. Like you just dig them into the ground. And that's ultimately, you know, the story of, of you know, it coming, coming to fruition. And the writing process was really just um, important to me. I made sure that at least one day a week, my oldest daughter, Addison, was with me when I wrote. And I would talk about it at, you know, at a kindergarten level and hear what she would say in response. And I have some funny stories about that, but, but that was, that's my story about publishing dig your heels in. Well, that's awesome. And congratulations to you on your success of your books Mm -hmm. and dig your heels in is available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and everywhere else. Um, And it's just, it's an amazing book. And last question I could, we could talk to you all day, but you've mentioned your fabulous daughters as the mother of two daughters, how has, how does your work take on kind of a new relevance and urgency um, now, now that you see your daughters, you know, rising as, you know, soon to be teens, soon to hit that, you know, that those ages when confidence plummets in girls. Um, so how does, how do, how do you think about that and incorporate that into your work? Well, I want to say this first, because I work with a lot of working mothers. I try to be very gentle and use self-compassion with myself because I can set some really high standards and expectations because of what I know, the data that I know and what could worry me and you know the millions of things that I could want to do. Um, but uh, really just trusting that the values and the role modeling are 85% of, of, of the game, you know, of influencing them. But the thing I focus on with them reflects uh, one of the core things I teach working women and really women everywhere, which is this toxic trio, um, imposter syndrome, perfectionism and invisibility. And so to briefly, you know, explain those imposter syndrome is that self-doubt that tells you you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're just not enough. Right. So I want my girls to know that they are enough right now. Um, on the perfectionist side, I am ambitious. I am driven. I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Are you kidding me with this pandemic? Where I, the, when everybody was posting those color-coded charts of like the day and the 9 a.m. to the 9 p.m., I was so tempted to do it. And it's like, no, maybe that'll make me feel good, but there's things there that really overwork us and they add to our emotional and mental load. And what a lot of people don't know is that uh, perfectionism's best friend is procrastination. Because when you make those goals so ridiculously high to achieve, you expect yourself to be perfect mother, perfect friend, perfect sister, perfect neighbor, perfect daughter, perfect partner, blah, 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 um, perfect leader. 
you, you make it so hard to even take that first step. That's where people procrastinate and misunderstand what's going on. They're spinning their wheels. Um, so just really looking for that at a young age, like if they don't feel good about not getting a hundred, if they are constantly erasing, I know a school that breaks off the erasers and says, what you do is what you do. You know, um, right. when she takes a test, I say, this isn't about you. This is about actually, and I learned this from her extraordinary teacher. The teacher said, you know, this is about, this is about me, how I can do a better job to help you show me what you can do. And that tells me how much I was able to break through and help you learn. And then the third part of bad invisibility is, is our voices are so important. I want her to keep raising her hand. I want her to speak up. I want her to be an upstander because we know what happens with, you know, bullying um, or just racism and sexism. And it happens so early. And, you know, I want her to really uh, not shrink herself. And if that means I have to teach her how to not use diminishing behaviors or weak language, like over apologizing, sorry, 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 I'm late, sorry, I'm this. Um, that's like in the same category when women at work are like, um, I just have one more thing to add. I, I know this is off subject. So that's the string that I connect from what I see happening with women. If I could only do it earlier with my girls, uh, and, and I try my best, you know, I try my best and we talk about it. And if, you know, if you've time for one more quick story, I'll, I'll tell you one about how I know that one lesson broke through. Yeah, of course. Of course. So I told you that I brought Addison along with me when I was writing, um, dig your heels in. And you don't, you know, you don't know what actually breaks through and what they remember and what resonates. And there was one holiday dinner where we with my in-laws and my husband's family is Italian and um, not at all to be stereotypical, but mostly everybody else gets to do the talking. I'm not usually the one that gets to tell the stories. And there's one point where I was telling a story and my husband jumped in to finish the story. And my daughter, who was probably like six at the time, slammed her hand down and said, daddy, men interrupt women three times. Please let mommy finish her story. I was like, that was the moment. I don't know how my mother-in-law felt about it, but I felt like redeemed um, that I was like, it broke through. She gets it. So anyway, um, those yeah, are we're, those we're, little we're, moments. Laughing, we're laughing so hard because that's definitely been yeah. Olivia many yeah. a time in our family. Um, and I agree. And, 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 kudos to you for role modeling all of those behaviors. And, you know, it definitely does come back. I have, my oldest is a rising uh, college junior at Duke university. And this past spring, he sent me an his essay and he said, you know, this is, I, I'm most proud of this essay of any essay I've ever, ever written. And I kind of let it sit in my inbox um, for a while. And he's like following up. Did you read it? Did you read it? And I'm like, geez, why is this so important to me, to, to him that I read it? But I finally did. And it was because he wrote about, um, it was basically a, for a philosophy class and he wrote about his sense of morality and that that mm -hmm. I was his moral compass it, it, because of all the work that I've done in, in founding Live Girl and paying it forward to the next generation of fierce female leaders. And you know, it's, it's, sometimes it takes a while, but um, I think it always, is, always comes back with your kids when you're modeling those right behaviors. So- Oh um, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to you. And, and this is why our sons are just as important yeah, to how they're raised and respect women, not expect them to be super women. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Joan, you are incredible. Yeah, Your work is incredible. I sincerely hope this is just the beginning of a collaboration yeah. between you and Why Millennials Matter and Live Girl. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we can write a book together. <laughs> I love that. I love that. With our girls, too. Yes. yes with yeah. our girls. Yes. Yes. Great. Please. Um, thank you so much for sharing your perspective um, and your and your wisdom with us. And um, we will talk again soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all you both do. Cheering you guys on as well. 